Check out our friends at Linquistity Gifts. Linquistity Gifts is a metaphysical store offering natural gemstone bead bracelets, signature and zodiac, designed and made in the United States, as well as raw and polished stones, crystal balls, pendulums, tarot cards, natural crystal points, wands, and so much more. Their beautiful signature design bracelets can aid with creativity, balance, focus, and well-being. Visit their website using the link in the description or visit linguistitygifts.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your first order over $20. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, my guest is Scott Walter. Before I bring him on, I have to thank Curiosity Stream. They're the award-winning destination for documentary series and features, covering every topic from space exploration to adventure. Satisfy your thirst for knowledge anytime and anywhere with Curiosity Screen. Curiosity Stream, their subscriptions start at only $2.99 a month. Just click the link in the description to sign up today. And please subscribe to Forbidden Knowledge News on LBRY.com. That is our official backup channel. We also have a brand new channel and platform on Rockfin. Our channel is called Beyond Classified. Go to Rockfin to check that out. That link is also in the description. It contains all the stuff that you will no longer be able to see here on YouTube. And Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on all your popular podcast platforms. Tonight I want to welcome Scott Walter. He is an author, forensic geologist, and television host best known as the host of the series America Unearthed. Based in Minnesota, he is the founder and president of the American Petrographic Services and the inventor of archaeopetrography. Scott, welcome. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Um, and I, you know, I, I know tonight we're going to be talking about some cool stuff, but just, just for the record, you know, today is, uh, uh, what happened in Washington, DC when, you know, some, um, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to call them protesters. That was more rioters, uh, attacked the Capitol. Um, I was profoundly impacted by that and disappointed. And as an American, um, you know, Russia, China, and our enemies are laughing at us right now, and I, I hope that um, I hope that our leaders really take stock in what happened and show us uh, the leadership. I know that we all can do when we come together, and um, I, I I'm really hopeful for that, um, and I think we'll rise to the challenge. But this has been a this has been a tough day for the U.S. Whether people realize it or not. And uh, it's been, I'm, I'm sad, but, um, but I'm also optimistic. So we'll see how things go. But I just felt like I had to say something. Yeah, I'm also optimistic. Um, you know, it's been the craziest year ever. And uh, I, I hope that this coming year we will have uh, some good things to look forward to instead. Uh, but tonight I'm looking forward to, we have so many directions we could go. Not only do I want to talk about, you know, some various out-of-place artifacts, a little bit about the Templars, but also you've recently ob obtained uh, some information from an individual in the Department of Events about the yeah. ET phenomenon. 
which is going to be a fun. Yeah. Uh, but this is your first time on. I'd love to hear what got you started and interested in geology and petroglyphs and the work that you've done. Okay. Well, my interest in geology started uh, when I was graduating from high school. I took a trip out to uh, Montana with my brother and another friend, and we went hiking up in the, the Bridger Mountains. And um, we ended up getting to the top of this peak. And I was watching the sun go down. It was just one of those picturesque moments. And there was a tube where you could, you know, unscrew the top, pull out a, you know, a, a ledger and you could sign your name and date on it. And, and as I was unscrewing this thing, I looked down and I saw a rock and there was a, uh, a little bivalve, a, a clamshell. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, how the hell did this shell that, you know, was at one time at the bottom of an ocean, end up at the top of this mountain. And I was just so intrigued and fascinated by that, that uh, it really sparked an interest in geology. So I, I went to University of Minnesota Duluth, uh, graduated in um, 82 in geology and earth science, and um, started working for a testing firm, and eventually started American Petrographic Services in January of 1990. Um, God, that's, that's 31 years ago now. My gosh, time flies. <laughs> um, where we started uh, a laboratory where we do uh, basically uh, material forensics, but basically what we really do is autopsies on concrete and rock. And uh, in July of 2000, the Kensington Runestone came into my laboratory and I'll never forget the guy who was representing the museum and he was talking to me and I could tell he was an advocate uh, for authenticity. And I said, look, dude, I said, I'll be happy to do this work for you, but you may, you need to be prepared that I may come back and give you news you're not going to like, and you're still going to pay me <laughs> because, <laughs> because the beautiful thing is it doesn't matter what the results are. I get paid either way. So uh, so I, you know, he was good with that and away we went, but I, I will tell you, I, I never, I never heard of the Kensington runestone. I didn't know what he was talking about, but it really didn't matter uh, whether I did or not, because, um, you know, the facts carry the day. And anyway, so we did the analysis and, and I ended up doing a weathering study where I compared the weathering of, of the inscription on the runestone with the weathering of tombstones of similar geology, exact same minerals, uh, virtually identical weathering environment, you know, at, at, uh, at above and below grade. I mean, tombstones were perfect, right? And I ended up concluding that the age of the uh, weathering was older than 200 years. And that was from the date it was pulled out of, ground, out of the ground because it hasn't been in a weathering environment since, which absolutely proved that it couldn't be a late 19th century hoax as everybody claimed. And if it's not that, you really have only one other option, and that is that it's genuine. Now, I had no idea about sacred paradigms and, uh, you know, secret history, and, and, and this is the narrative, and that's it. There are no narratives in science. And so I, re I released my results, and, um, you know, people at first, you know, were questioning, and I don't have any problem if somebody has a question, and, you know, I'm certainly not above making a mistake. And if I made a mistake, point it out to me and I'll fix it. Well, that wasn't the issue. They just didn't like the result. Well, tough hop, <laughs> right? And uh, 
So, you know, at first it was a little testy and then it got nasty. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, man, I, I went to UMD on a football scholarship and I played linebacker. I don't back down to anybody, um, especially when it comes to the science and to the facts uh, and, and my conclusion, I stood by it because I trust rocks. I don't trust some people. Rocks have never lied to me. Rocks don't have egos. They don't have agendas. They just are. So I always trusted what the rock told me. And I, you know, I heard what people had to say, but, you know, my foundation was the rock. And that led to going over to Sweden five, five times and finding all the language, runes, dialect, grammar, dating features that all the experts said didn't exist. Well, logic demands if this thing is real, the rock says it's real, therefore these things must be so. And they were, I found them all. Of course, all that did was just piss everybody off even more. And, you know, that's, that's how I got started on this. But the next phase was, if this is an authentic artifact, what that means is somebody carved it, they came from some place, and they came here for some reason. Absolutely, those things are universal truths, right? And then I set out to find those things. And quite frankly, the evidence that led to the, the medieval Templars was one of the easiest evidence trails I've ever followed. And it went to them and nobody else but them. And of course, I was criticized. Oh, you, you know, the Templars, of course, isn't that convenient? I go, it's not convenient. It's the truth. And get used to it. Um, and so the deeper I dove and the more questions we asked, um, you know, and, and believe me, I didn't do this on my own. I had a lot of help from many different people um, and I listened to them and they helped. And eventually we figured out it was the Templars who, um, you know, brought the treasures from the Middle East and Europe, brought them over here and uh, placed them um, in, the, uh, in the knowledge that in the future, uh, the brethren, if you will, the ideological descendants of the Templars who are uh, Freemasons and our founding fathers, took on that obligation, and they finished the job of establishing what they called a sanctuary, the New Jerusalem, if you will, where they could live in, uh, in freedom from the tyranny of the monarchs of Europe, freedom from the persecution of the Roman Catholic Church, and, you know, pursue life, liberty, and, and happiness. So that's the story. And um, to me, it's patently obvious. I think you know, what, what's happening now, you know, in our government is really sad from the standpoint of people are talking about the Constitution, but I wonder how many of them understand that the Constitution is a Masonic document. There's no question about that, okay? And our founding fathers who, who wrote that, you know, uh, George Mason was the author of the Constitution, really. They give credit to Thomas Jefferson, but George Mason wrote the Constitution of Virginia, and, and Jefferson basically used that as the template. But um, right now, we're being tested, and we're being tested from within. And I, I think now more than ever, this story of the Templars, the Runestone, the Newport Tower, all these other artifacts that have been screaming to be, you know, to be heard for a long time. 
um, need to be heard and we need to understand where we came from so we don't fall into the same mess that that happened, you know, if we don't do our due diligence. People forget we fought a revolution against a monarchy. Remember that? The Revolutionary War? Do we remember that? And remember who persecuted the Templars? The Roman Church, right? And the church and the crown legitimized each other to create uh, a terrible uh, force that, that, that the people suffered. And we're going down that path again. So maybe what happened today is a wake-up call. And maybe if people understood the truth behind these artifacts, the history behind these artifacts, that is our country's history, um, maybe maybe we can figure out a way to come together and go forward into the future. Um, you know that old saying, Chris, those who do not learn from the past are destined to repeat it. And, and let's, not, let's not fall into that trap. We're smarter than that. We're better than that. Definitely. I agree 100%. And you mentioned the Kensington Runestone. I think that's a kind of good place to start. I'd like yeah. to uh, get Hold into... Hold on one sec. Can I, yeah. can I get off my... My soapbox first. Okay, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So first, let's get into what the mainstream narrative was and then what your discoveries brought to the table when it comes to this uh, Kensington runestone. Sure. Well, you know, the the mainstream narrative is the runestone's a hoax. Um, Olaf Oman carved it. He did it as a prank. Um, I mean, it's it's such a ridiculous premise. It it really doesn't uh, deserve the dignity of even talking about, because first of all, there is no evidence uh, to support. Olaf Oman could not have possibly carved that inscription based on what we know now. Um, nobody walking the planet in 1898 could have carved the Kensington Runestone inscription. That's, it's just, it, it's just not possible. Um, he had no motive, he had no uh, objective. He suffered and his family suffered terribly. Um, and all he did was find a stone, and, and the, the only thing he's guilty of is wanting to know what he found. So, and, and you know, here's another thing about material forensics it's important for people to understand, and, and it will make sense if you think about it, but it's not something that's intuitive right off the bat, and that is all the facts and evidence in multiple disciplines, geology, language, history, um, symbolism, um, all, all these different aspects of the investigation and all the facts within them all support authenticity. 100%, it's really, it's really one of the easiest problems I've ever solved, right? So if you have all this evidence that supports authenticity, how can there possibly be evidence to support the contrary? Think about that. It can't exist. If it's authentic, how can there be any evidence to support the fact that it's not true? There isn't any, and there never was any. So I challenge anybody to give me a fact that supports this supports that it's not authentic. There isn't one. And so, um, you know, and, and so that's just the way it is. Now, why don't they want it to be real, right? Why do we have a certain narrative that if something gets in the way of that, it's dismissed? Well, it's the age old thing, money, power, and control, right? And the fact of the matter is, 
if you accept the Kensington runestone as being an authentic artifact. You, look, rewrite the books. People say, well, gee, you have to rewrite history. Well, then rewrite it, right? Sell more books. Uh, there's opportunities for scholars to, to make all kinds of contributions. What's the friggin' problem? Well, the problem is there are certain powers that be that I just mentioned, namely the Roman Catholic Church, that has a lot to lose if the Kensington runestone is authentic, because what happens is you trigger a series of dominoes that begin to fall and they go to very inconvenient places. Like for example, the Telpiat tomb in Jerusalem that uh, I am convinced uh, contains 10 ossuaries that hold the mortal remains of Jesus, his wife, Mary Magdalene and other members of the first century royal family. Now, how can you have the bones of somebody who supposedly was the son of God that rose and went to heaven, right? That's a problem. <laughs> and that's exactly one of the places where those dominoes go. And um, I think, I think the, uh, the implications are self-evident. And the larger part of the, the story is, of course, that the, the Templars were, uh, you know, I guess, charged with you know, being in charge of these artifacts, and they also were the founders of our country through free Freemasonry, and that's one of the things that we're not told through our history books, mainstream narrative. We're never told. <laughs> and why is that? Just like what you just mentioned, the the power, the the greed, the you know the the narrative. They don't want to rewrite history because that's what they basically have to do. Well, it 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 changes the whole dynamic. And, you know, I, I don't mean to, to continue to beat on the church, but I hate to tell you, they're the ones that are the biggest antagonists in this story. Uh, they're the ones that funds the institution, like the Smithsonian Institution. Um, and, and, you know, money, <laughs> follow the money, as they say. Um, it, it, it's, it's a tragic story. And, and, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more to this, but um, look, the Templars had, they had one over on the church back in medieval times. It's part of the reason they were able to rise and be so successful. There were two, two things that, that really people don't understand about the Templars. One is the leadership of the Templars and the true ideology, ideology of the Templars had nothing to do with Catholicism. They just pretended to be Catholic, right? My enemy, you know, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. And all the symbolism and the iconography of the Roman Catholic Church was borrowed from things that were much older. I mean, just look at just look at the Egyptian culture, right? And so these symbols to the Templars, who were part of dynastic families that go back generations um, and and hundreds and thousands of years through Egypt and beyond, um, you know, they knew what these symbols meant. And they venerated the Virgin Mary, who was emblematic of the of the great goddess to them. So they just they were they were perfectly fine. Now their veneration of, of the Virgin uh, actually got a little bit, you know, too heavy for the church, and you know they didn't quite understand. But when you understand the true ideology, it all makes sense. The other thing that was problematic is that the Templars had the evidence. They had the marriage document of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and they knew the truth about the fact he was not divine. He was just a dude like the rest of us, right? Now, um, 
the whole fundamental basis of the ideology of the Roman church is that he was divine. So if you hold evidence to prove that he was not divine, you sure have a pretty powerful <laughs> uh, weapon against, you know, this institution, which was the church. And the church knew it. So this is part of the reason why the Templars were able to be so successful, because they, they had the blessing of the church, because they had them by the you-know-what. Uh, but eventually, at the start of the 14th century, um, they got the right pope in place. Uh, they had a, a maniac uh, king of France who was ready to take them on. And quite frankly, the Templars had gotten a little fat and lazy by this time, and they were vulnerable. And so it was a combination of things that led to their downfall. But they didn't go away. Um, a lot of people don't really understand the history of what happened. I mean, you had, you know, tens of thousands of Templar Knights that were supported by probably hundreds of thousands of, well, not hundreds of thousands, but, but many tens of thousands of people that supported a Templar knight. You probably had anywhere from 10 to 20 people that supported one knight and his horses that fought in battle. So it's a lot more complicated than people think, but the only place that the order was physically suppressed was in, was in France. You had Templars in many different countries, into the Middle East, into Scandinavia, the British Isles, the Iberian Peninsula. They weren't all in France. Now that was where their headquarters was, but believe me, the institution didn't end in 1307 or 1314 when de Molay was burned. They just continued on under the radar. But the whole plan from the very beginning was to establish, you know, the sanctuary over in North America. That was always the plan. That this has always been the place where people that were being persecuted long before the Templars came around, their family ancestors, literal ancestors, and they knew that the sanctuary that they could escape to was North America and South America and Central America. So this BS about Columbus is, is, is beyond laughable. Um, and, you know, if people want to know the truth, this is the truth right here. Now, I want to get into uh, Freemasonry a little bit. You're sure. a Freemason. And, I am. Um, I believe that the... Catholic Church personally demonized uh, Freemasonry a lot, and I think that's a, a good reason why we have a lot of these conspiracies these days that surround <laughs> Freemasonry, you know, yeah. about how it's evil and things like that. Um, it, would you agree that it would be because the Catholic Church that we have the view that most modern people have of Freemasonry today, that it's some sort of evil secret society that runs the world? Well, um, you know, if we're running the world, I'm a little bit disappointed. Okay, I, I didn't get the memo there, and and uh, so I don't, I don't, um, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I understand, you know, anytime you have a, an organization that is secret, right? Um, people, are, people that are not part of it are going to question it, criticize it, attack it. Um, and, and it's just, it's just a, I think, a human thing that people fear, fear the unknown, right? And, you know, I, I can tell you that, um, you know, Freemasonry, like everything, has evolved over time, right? And um, you go back to the time of our founding fathers, secrecy was, was a matter of life and death, right? 
I mean, if you did not keep a secret about what we were doing, um, you know, in, in our fight against the British, you were dead, right? If, if, if you were considered a spy. So back then, the whole element of secrecy and handshakes and signs of recognition was, was part of espionage, right? It was part of uh, your mission to, um, you know, win the war. Um, and, and even going forward, you know, the Civil War, uh, same thing. When we start getting into the more modern era, though, um, we still have a lot of Freemasonry was more popular than ever in the late 1800s, early 1900s. After the Second World War, a lot of the guys that fought missed that, that fraternal brotherhood aspect of being in war, right? And so Freemasonry exploded after that. But, you know, as time has gone on, things are different. Um, the world has changed, um, you know, but, but the thing is, is that young people are still asking those big questions in life, you know, um, you know, is there a God, you know, what happens after I die, you know, all that kind of stuff, but they're not getting those answers in church as much as they used to. Their people are moving away from the church because, um, uh, in many ways it's unhealthy to have an institution uh, that is run by human beings, um, you know, giving people those answers. A lot of those answers should come from within. But, you know, uh, one of the things about, about the church that um, I think that, that irritates them about Freemasonry is we don't care if you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a Buddhist. Uh, Native Americans take their obligation on an eagle feather. The point is we do ask people to make a statement in a belief in a higher power, who that higher power is, what you call it, we don't care because we're all talking about the same thing, right? And um, and that's really nobody's business but your own. And so this is part of what makes the church uncomfortable. So of course they, you know, they they demonize it by saying things that just aren't true. And um, you know, um, you know, we do take obligations to protect our brothers, to protect our family, to protect our country, to, um, you know, um, we do a lot of charity work. Um, uh, we donate a lot of money to many different causes and it's our record speaks for itself. Um, and really the only secrets that we can't talk about are the passwords, the penal signs and the, and the handshakes, right? But if you want to know what they are, just go online. You can get it all there, right? So what secrets do we have um, in this day and age? Um, um, really, the secrets we have are, are the secrets that, uh, you know, that, that a brother might share with me and I might do with, with somebody else. But it is a worldwide organization. And um, I can tell you that like anything else, I mean, if you fought in a war or if you played on a sports team um, or if you're part of the, you know, the fraternity, you meet somebody that was on your team. You guys are already up here, right? You don't have to start down here. You guys have already shared a common experience. It's the same thing. And, you know, you've been in battle, right? I played a lot of football, man. It gets pretty rough and you got to have each other's back if you want to be successful and, same thing in war, and and um, but it's 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 not quite the same, but it's very similar, and uh, it's nothing to fear. Um, it, it it's also um, a place to learn. You know, we use the code word light. 
light means knowledge. And um, we, we seek to bring light. We, we teach people. My, my job, uh, my primary uh, job, I guess you would say, within Freemasonry is I'm an educator. I'm a researcher, and I give lots of lectures, um, uh, L, you know, um, LEO is the Lodge uh, uh, Education Officer, and, and I'm asked oftentimes to go in and give, you know, 15 to minutes to half hour speech at a lodge meeting um, or at Grand Lodge or whatever, and, and um, I take great pride in that because uh, these guys, they're there because they want to learn. So it's, you know, I, I don't know what's wrong with that. <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier that um, this is not a Christian nation. This was not founded as a Christian nation. It was founded no. as a Masonic nation. And the co- Constitution is actually a Masonic document. And yep. that's something else that people, most people do not realize. Uh, and also, I think it was 53 of the 56 signers Correct. Uh, were Correct. Masons, right? Mas- we're Master Masons, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, the, um, uh, the whole, uh, it, it's really troubling because, you know, I, I hear a lot of talk about, um, you know, evangelicals. That's fine. If you want to be an evangelical, that's your right. But, but don't make the stake, mistake of thinking just because we have more Christians in this country than any other religion means that we are a Christian country. It's very, very important that people realize that we are not. A Christian nation. And, and one of the main reasons for that is tolerance, right? You need to be tolerant that just because you have the dominant view doesn't mean it's the only view. And quite frankly, one of the things that I like about um, meeting people from other countries, other religions, uh, other cultures, is I know what goes on in my world, right? Here in the United States, uh, at least here in Minnesota where I live, I don't learn anything new very often about my place. When I go to another country, I go to a different part of the country. I might, I meet people of different ethnicities, different races. Um, I learn from them and they learn from me. And, you know, I'm, I'm better off. Uh, I'm a better person by, you know, learning about somebody else and, and, and teaching them about what I know. Um, So, that's, those are some of the ideals upon which this nation was founded. And we need more tolerance. Uh, we need more people listening instead of telling us what they think all the time, right? You, you know what I'm saying. I do. And something else of interesting I've heard you mention is that some of the Native Americans had their own secret societies like the Templars and actually were kind of like their brethren um, and work together. Not kind of, not kind of, they absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, the secret society is called the Medewin and it's still alive and, and well today. Um, I know several uh, indigenous people who are Meday and it's Freemasonry from the, you know, from a native perspective. They don't call it Freemasonry, but it's essentially the same thing. The rituals are very much the same. The traditions, uh, I mean, a lot of the details that I have learned, I'm like, oh, I know what that is. Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, 
And, you know, um, when you, the other thing, when you go into lodge, when you, when you meet as a Mason, um, it, it, you know, it's something that we take a lot of pride in. And um, so we, we, we go there and we, we honor our brothers, we pay respects, we listen, and um, it's the same thing that the Mede do. And so when the Templars came over here practicing what was essentially Freemasonry, you know, I, I use the, the analogy that, um, you know, the Templars, when they, when they carved the Kensington runestone in the middle of the continent, they didn't fight their way to Kensington, right? There's no way at that time, you know, the natives were going to let them get there unless they had some type of an understanding, okay? I don't know why, I feel like I'm the first person that has ever even thought about this. Um, never have I any, ever seen anyone talk about the native uh, perspective in this question, which is patently obvious. Ha there has to have been interaction with these people. What was that interaction? Well, it turns out because they shared this common bond of brotherhood. I mean, I was in a midday sweat a number of years ago, and I wanted to ask, you know, the medicine man about the Templars but I had to earn the right to ask my questions and I had to go through a certain ritual. It was beautiful. And then go ahead, Scott, ask your questions. And I said, well, I want to ask you about the Templars. And he said, you mean our blood brothers? And that was all I needed to hear really, because I knew then that what I surmised had to be the case for them to be able to operate, not just get to Minnesota, but all across the continent because they were all across the continent. There had to be a relationship with the indigenous people. And, you know, they're not any different than any other group of people, right? Treat them with respect, treat people the way that you want to be treated and you get it back, right? And that's how you build trust and, 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 a, and a relationship. And so by meeting in lodge and sharing these rituals and eventually intermarrying and assimilating, that's how the Templars were able to be so successful over here. And, uh, you know, that's the elephant in the room that I've never heard anyone really talk about. Yeah, especially now. I mean, you, you don't hear anything, any mainstream talk of any of the Templars or Freemason history. It's all independent media. It's all independent journalists, uh, you know, like people like yourself that are unearthing these things and then coming right. out and talking about them. Um, but, you know, do you think that mainstream media, if more and more people like yourself keep coming out with this and, you know, they're not going to be able to deny it anymore, history books will eventually have to be rewritten? Or do you think they're well, just going to keep pushing the same narrative as long as they can until, I mean, I don't know. Well, I think, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in an old, old adage that the truth eventually will bubble to the surface, right? You, you can only keep it down for so long. Um, and and if it, you look, the, the, the facts are going to carry the day. And, and what's really surprising to me is how many um, really smart people are happy to take advantage of all the benefits and luxuries and conveniences of science and technology like this, right? And like this, what we're doing right now. But then on the other hand, they will completely throw out 
logic and science and facts to argue, you know, their ideological viewpoint about certain things like, you know, Columbus or no, the Templars couldn't have come here because I don't like that idea. And the church, church doesn't like that idea. I mean, you can suppress it for so long and eventually it's got to come out. Now, having said that, um, you have corrupt institutions that are funded by the church, like Wikipedia. Um, and I will give you an example. Um, and this isn't bragging. It's a simple fact. Um, I am, I have done more work on the Kensington runestone, on all aspects of the runestone, more than anyone in the history of the artifact since it was found. And I'm not saying that to brag, it just is what it is, okay? Um, and I think I've done some pretty good work. Um, if you Google Kensington runestone, you will not see my name. You will not see any of the four books I published that were all or partly uh, about the Kensington runestone. But one book that you will see, check this out. Is this book right here? It's called The Kensington Runestone, Approaching a Research Question Holistically. Written by Alice Beck Kehoe, a retired professor of archeology span from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. I published a 574 page book with a linguist who was also a scientist, uh, uh, Dick Nielsen. He is no, um, he passed away a few years ago. And that is the Bible on the Kensington runestone. This book is about that book. And she said that we solved the Kensington runestone, but the book she's writing about is not on the wiki site, but this is now. You tell me if that's not effed up, okay? Yeah. So, so you know, is it going to change? I hope so. I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, unfortunately. But as I said, um, I stand behind every uh, all the work I've done. I stand behind everything I've said. And um, I know that in the future, it'll all, it'll all be, it'll all, it'll all be accepted. It has to because it's the truth. Now, sticking to um, kind of out of place and interesting artifacts, uh, you recently did some work with the Mystery Stones of Texas. Yeah. Now, for those yeah. that are not familiar, could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about what those are and, you know, yeah. some of the conclusions you've come up with? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's still uh, really an, an open investigation, but I think we're getting to the bottom of that well a little bit. I, I actually need to write that up, but I've been so busy with other stuff, I haven't had a chance. And I really want to do some more lab work on these stones. But basically, um, it was it was a year ago in February, next month, that I first learned about these artifacts. Um, I was at a conference and um, somebody had mentioned these artifacts and, and, and he showed me a couple of pictures and I said, I got to see these. So what I did was uh, I went down to, to Texas a couple of times to uh, look at these artifacts. And what they are is they're carved on sandstone and some of them are like this big, some of them are, one of them is about four and a half feet long, um, but they were found inside of a cave um, along a little stream next to an old um, Spanish mission. 
uh, in central Texas. And um, they were found, uh, I think the first, there was a date that was carved on, on, the, on the rock outside, but um, that was dated 1501. And a guy saw that in 1968, but then he didn't really go over there and investigate it fully until the year 2000. And in 2004, they discovered a cave that had been sealed up and these carved slabs had been piled up, um, you know, like, like blocks, like slabs of rock on top of each other. And they were covered with these strange carvings with multiple language languages, strange iconography, um, archangels. Some of them were maps that they think were treasure maps. Um, there's just this eclectic collection of, of, uh, of carvings and, and iconography and, like I said, languages. And they're definitely weathered. Uh, we don't know how long that they were put in the cave, but um, here's the thesis that we're going on is we know that in the Iberian Peninsula, which is Spain and Portugal, that um, in the uh, starting in the late 15th century, 16th century, 17th century, oh, well, right up to today, <laughs> Um, it's not, not the same as it was, but the church demanded that people be Catholic, right? Well, you had people who were Jewish that are what they called crypto-Jews. They were outwardly Catholic, but inwardly Jewish, right? They pretended to be Catholic, but they were really Jews. And so what happened is in uh, the late 15th century, uh, many of these people were under persecution from the Roman Catholic Church. And so uh, the church actually came out with an inquisition on the day that Columbus set sail on his first voyage. Now, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that Columbus himself was a crypto Jew. And many of these people were given a choice. You can either convert forever. You can leave or we'll kill you. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think a lot of these people said, you know, um, I think I'm going to leave. <laughs> so, so a lot of them probably went with Columbus. Uh, uh, many of them came on other voyages sub subsequent to that, all the way through to the, the uh, uh, end of the 1700s. And we know that we have these, these missions that were established in uh, northern Mexico along the Gulf Coast and into southern, what is now southern Texas. But this location isn't, isn't anywhere near the coast. It's quite a ways inland. And the question remains, now, could this have been a group of these crypto Jews? And if so, why do we have different language? We have, we have Hebrew there, but the language is actually what they call Ladino, which is uh, Hebrew and Spanish, kind of a mixture of Hebrew and Spanish, not Latino, Ladino. And um, the iconography on these is, is just so varied. I mean, some of them have beautiful Egyptian iconography of Anubis and, and Isis. And, you know, what is this stuff doing here? Well, in fact, back at that time, uh, Egyptian stuff was all the rage, right? So, and, 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 and what time period was these? Were these? Well, what they, they, we've got dates on some of these that go from 1501, 
all the way into the mid 18th century, 1765, I think is the, the most uh, recent date. So you've got a period of, you know, about 250 years that we think that this colony and subsequent generations were occupying this area. And I think most of these stones were probably grave slabs. That's why they're weathered, right? And so what happened is uh, something happened. And what I think it was, is they caught wind that, that, the, that the church was coming. Uh, the Spanish were coming, the church was coming with them. And these people who were openly practicing Judaism and who knows what else, um, they got rid of these stones, which would have provided, you know, a problem for them if the church had seen these grave slabs and, and the symbols and the language and the, the phrases that are on them. So we think something happened and that's why they put them in these caves. Now, we don't know that for sure, but that seems to be reasonable speculation. But like I said, we have a lot more work to do on them. It's a fascinating story that um, isn't a pre-Columbian story. It, it actually may actually involve Columbus, which is kind of cool in itself. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what other uh, type of, uh, I guess, work do you have to do um, to get more information from these? Well, you know, the, the inscriptions are really difficult to decipher because if it was just straight Hebrew, that would be one thing. There, on many of them, I'd say probably seven or eight of them, they're using Hebrew letters. They're using the Hebrew alphabet, but the language is not Hebrew. <laughs> it's this, it's this sort of mixture, right? And it was somebody who understood the Hebrew alphabet pretty well, but not really well, and spoke this, you know, this sort of Hebrew Spanish. Uh, dialect that we see. So it makes it really difficult to translate. I can't translate it because I don't speak, um, I don't speak Spanish or Hebrew um, other than a couple of words, but um, you know, where do you find those experts? There aren't many people that can help us with that, but we do have a couple of uh, uh, academics that we're going to reach out to and we'll see what we find out. Very cool. I'll be very interested in seeing what comes out of that. Now, yeah. uh, for the last half of the show, very excited to talk about this. Um, you have been contacted from someone who claimed they were in the Department of Defense and has. He didn't you claim. Well, he claimed he was, and, and I am now convinced that he is. Okay, fair enough. And he's given yeah. you some, uh, let's say, um, intriguing information. Yeah. I'll yeah. go as far as to say that. Well, yeah. Um, no, it's, um, yeah, this, this, this came from left field when he contacted me, but, um, you know, I'm also, I'm also kind of, kind of proud of the fact that the reason, one of the reasons he contacted me is he felt that I was a credible person, that I, I was somebody who, um, stood behind what I said and, um, and I, I do stand behind what I say if I believe that I have got the evidence to to back up what I say. And um, and if I don't know, I'll say so. Um, and if I think it's a hoax, I will. I've done that many times. You know, not everything I see is real. Um, and quite frankly, uh, you know, if you'd asked me five or six years ago about extraterrestrials, and I would have said thanks, but no thanks. It really isn't my cup of tea. And it is a little bit outside of the realm of my normal um, 
you know, uh, subject matter that I investigate. However, having said that, the process of investigation, regardless if you're looking at a runestone, you're looking at a murder case, you're looking at a piece of concrete, or you're investigating extraterrestrials, the process of investigation is the same. It doesn't really matter. So I understand the process of investigation. It's, it's all I've done <laughs> since I graduated from college is forensic investigation. So, um, so I need to see some facts. I need to see some evidence. And I have seen some of that evidence. Um, and really one of the main reasons why um, the government is taking a different approach is um, because this, this, you know, this tight secrecy um, for the sake of saving, you know, you know, humans from panicking and running in the streets because we're all going to be killed. Look, if they, if, if, if these people wanted to kill us, if that was their mission, we'd be gone. <laughs> so clearly that's not what their mission is. And it's not, um, you know, they consider us part of the interstellar community, right? Um, but we're low on the evolutionary chain. We are not that well emotional intelligence. Um, we're just not there. I mean, I'm sorry to say as, as wonderful as we think we are as a species, we got a long way to go. Um, the evidence is, is not just here in our country right now, but um, uh, racism, misogyny, um, you know, greed, power, the oil cartels, this is not the way we should be doing business on this planet. Um, every one of us, you know, we, we have red blood, right? We're all homo sapiens and they're disappointed in us, quite frankly. Um, and um, we have some work to do. We're destroying our planet. I mean, let's just be honest. Um, we have too many people um, nobody wants to talk about that problem, but all the other problems that we have are a function of too many people. And, you know, correcting the problem isn't about killing people. It's about getting things under control and being responsible stewards of this planet. And, and this all, you know, is, is part of um, this, this question because they live here too. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, the other thing that I, that I'm aware of is that, you know, they, we all have the ability to intellectually in our brains communicate with these people um, telepathically. Um, that's how they operate their ships. That's how they communicate. And we can do it too. Um, we have to want to do it. And, you know, we want to, we, we, what we have to do as a species is to realize that we need to clean up our act first and foremost. Um, we need to realize that it's not just us on this planet. It's, there's a whole, uh, you know, solar system out there, a whole galaxy. And um, we're just one part of it. And uh, we can do better. And so that's, that's kind of the basic message. Um, and if we don't, we're going to have more problems. And if we do, um, I think the future is really bright. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I, um, 
you know, it's not very often that you get an opportunity to be, to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. Right. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to be involved in things like the runestone and, and, and these other out of place artifacts and to have a TV show, um, you know, for as long as we did to, uh, to help get what I consider to be the truth out there. Right. And, you know, I take a lot of pride and, and, but it's a big responsibility. And now to be tapped, to be involved in, in this disclosure project, um, it's a big honor. And, and I take it very seriously. Now, at the same time, I got to make sure that things are what, what they purport to be. And um, if I'm compelled and convinced and I conclude that this is what it is, then I'll be more than happy to, uh, to be a spokesperson if that's what they want. And I can tell you so far, I am compelled. Um, what I've seen so far has convinced me. And, um, and I think if people were honest with themselves, uh, they know that what I've said is true, that we do need to get our act together, not just as Americans, but as humans on this planet. Now, I'm assuming he kind of chose you because of who you are, your stature, um, you know, your integrity and your, you know, I, I guess, credibility um, and to come out with some of this information. Now, I guess I'm assuming you did your own vetting of this person yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> he spent three days in my house. <laughs> we drank bourbon late into the night. And, uh, you know, he showed me his credentials and we, we had uh, some pretty heavy, heavy, heavy talks. And, and I'll tell you what, he's a good dude. Um, you'd like him. Uh, he's younger than me. And he was chosen to um, be part of this project. And, you know, one of the things that he told me was really prophetic and 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 that was you know the government has only been made a decision in the last three years to be open about this et question and and if anybody's paying attention you're seeing more and more and more information coming out right from the government from the military and one of the things that he said was you know for over 80 years, they have had a policy of nobody, you know, nobody says a word, anybody that leaks, you could potentially be killed, deny things that happen to people, you know, ruin their reputations to preserve, you know, the secrecy for, you know, for our own good, right? I mean, all that did was to sow doubt and distrust within these branches of our government, right? And in the last three years since they have come out and said, you know what, they're real, they're here. Um, we're being honest with you. It has completely changed the vast majority of people's opinion about these agencies in a positive way. And I, I stopped and I thought about that and I go, you know what, he's right. And so, um, you know, the one thing I'll say is, you know, when you get bad news about something or something that's scary or, or depressing, you know, you're really devastated at the moment. But what do we do as humans? You know, eventually you stop crying, you dust yourself off and you keep going. That's just that's just how we are. That's what you have to do. And sure, some people are going to be shocked. Some people are going to go, well, that can't be. But eventually they still have to go to their jobs. They got to take care of their kids. They got to 
you know, you got to get on with life. Um, and that will happen here too. Um, people are going to be curious. They're going to want to know more things and, and that will come. Um, but more than anything, people not only have to recognize that they're here, but they also have to recognize the issues that we have that are really more important than the fact that there's ETs here and out there, right? We got a serious problem in front of us and that's, that's taking care of our home. We don't have anywhere else to go, right? They do. <laughs> we don't. So um, I don't know how anybody can argue with that logic. It, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. And that's basically, you think, well, they, they're having the slow rollout through the mainstream media, through some military sources that, yes, these things do exist. And they're just kind of trying to slowly prepare us for an eventual future where we'll have, be having regular contact with these beings if we can get our shit together, basically. Well, 100%. My understanding is, is that we already have contact. We've had contact with them. We're working with them. Our government has treaties already. I mean, the world has treaties, not just us. Uh, the other governments are aware of this too. Um, recently, an Israel, a retired Israeli yeah, the, uh, story about offer, officer came out and he, he, he was a little more uh, dire in his warning. He said, we're not ready. You know, our, our, we're, we're in trouble. We are horribly off track and they are disappointed. That's basically the same message I got. But, um, um, but this, this person we call Holden, um, you know, he's also very passionate about this. You know, he's not just a guy in a black suit and, you know, telling me here's the deal. You know, he's, He's, you know, he's got his own challenges in life. And, you know, he said, this is a really important project. And he says, there are days I get discouraged that I don't think that this is, you know, we're going to be able to pull this off. And, um, you know, he was very, just very forthcoming. And um, so I, I told him, I said, you know what, dude, I said, I'm optimistic. I've seen the, uh, you know, a lot of the good that, 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 people can be when we, when we try. And, uh, I said, you know, we got to try. And so I, I'm, I'm in. So I told him, so I'm in. <clears throat> yeah, man, we definitely live in fascinating times right now. And I really, mm -hmm. I really hope that, uh, us humans can, can get our shit together. So where we can get to that point, um, because, you know, I recently had my very first what you would call a contact experience. You know, really? Been, oh, yes. I've been extremely skeptical doing this show the whole time until I had my own experience, which kind of confirmed okay. things for me. But yeah, uh, I'm, I, I got the same message that we really need to get our, our shit together before yeah, we can make yeah, their, their yeah. presence known. Well, and you know, I, and, and I, I had a, I had an experience too. I, 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 I encountered a, 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 a person that I thought was just a person. And after one of the most profound moments in my, in my life uh, with regard to my research at the Newport Tower, uh, I mean, I'm talking about a defining moment in my life. This, this person was there and the only person that was there for almost an hour. And that never happens at the tower. It just never happens. And um, she disappeared. And I'm like, the hell. <laughs> I, and, you know, it really, 
it stuck in my craw for a long time because nobody could have done that. And her dog too. She had a dog with her and they both just vanished. Um, you know, Holden says, maybe it was one of them. And he said it in a way, it was one of them. Because I described her and I told him exactly what happened. And he kind of chuckled and, and, uh, yeah, from yeah. everything I've, I've heard from so many different independent resources, authors, researchers, whistleblowers, that they walk amongst us and they look like us. And you could, you wouldn't be able to tell if, if that's right, they're one of them. That, yep, that's right. And, you know, what I, what I was told is that, you know, the, the aliens that everybody thinks of with the big heads and the almond shaped eyes and the little noses, those are biological drones. Those are not the aliens. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, they walk among us. And I'll tell you what, this woman was gorgeous. I mean, I remember her being beautiful. And, you know, I was on the inside of the tower. She was on the outside. We were literally two feet away from each other, right? And she was there the whole time when this illumination event happened, which for me was a moment of validation of all the research I had done, not just on the runestone, but the Templars and the Tower of Certainly and, and many other parts to this story. And I knew at that moment I was on the right track. I mean, it just, it was just, it was amazing. And she was there for it. And I remember when I got like the money shot picture of, of, uh, of the illumination, you know, she said to me, you know, I work in public relations. Would you like me to get a picture of you with that in the background? And I said, oh, that's a great idea. And I, I pulled out a backup camera I had in my jacket and I gave it to her and she snapped this picture and she gave me the camera back and I said, thanks. And, and I had been taking pictures every minute or so watching this light box move towards the egg and I wanted to get pictures going off. So I took the camera, I said, thanks. You know, and I'd been doing it in front of her. I didn't even say anything. I turned, took a picture and I turned back and she's gone. I mean, two seconds. Looked in that park, and there's not a lot in that park. She couldn't have just run off. And I remember when I turned around, my first thought was, "Well, that was rude." <laughs> I thought we were getting along, you know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I just a cold chill went down my back, and I'm like, "What just happened?" You know. Right. The funny part is. You know, I, I, I told the story. I didn't tell the story for a long time because I didn't know what to say. I'm like, how do I explain it, right? And uh, I, I remember somebody asked me, they said, um, well, did you ever develop those pictures? I said, well, yeah, I did. I didn't develop them. They were digital, but check this out. <clears throat> Oh, shoot. Of course, when I need it, I, I can't find it. But oh, on the back, no worries. On the back of my Hooked X book, the author's picture is that picture. But there's no photo credit because I don't know who to credit. Wow. There it is. Yeah. Very interesting. 
Very, yeah. very interesting. Scott, yeah, thank you was... so much, man. That was fascinating <laughs> stuff. Um, <laughs> man, we have so I got a million. I got a million of them, Chris. Let me tell yeah, you. <laughs> that's why you're going to have to have you have you, uh, back on sometime soon. We got, sure. we got so much more we could have talked about. Before you head out, yeah. though, uh, for those that are interested, do you have anything interesting upcoming? And um, if they're interested in finding out more about your work, where can they do so? Sure, sure. Well, do we have anything more interesting coming up? Oh, hell yes. I mean, my God, we still have all kinds of stuff going with the Templar research. Um, we've got, you know, the Texas Stones. There's, um, um, we have some treasure hunts we're going to be going on. Um, we're looking at uh, probably launching our own platform here in the near future. Um, we got all, I mean, we got so much great stuff that's coming. Uh, in this vein that, um, you know, rewrites the history of America. Um, but, you know, rewriting the history isn't really right. It's, it's, it's getting it right is what we're doing. It's, it's the right story. But, you know, I've, I've written a lot of books on this subject matter. And if people want to uh, read any of my books, if you want a signed copy of my book, just go to www.hookedx.com. That's H. O-O-K-E-D-X.com. I sign all books bought off the website. Um, you can go to my blog, which is Scott Walter Answers, if you want to ask me a question. I've got, you know, every episode we ever did of America on Earth, I did a blog for. I have a lot of other blogs that I've written, and I respond to every inquiry, unless it's really dumb. I won't post it, but <laughs> you got to try pretty hard for me not to post it. Um and, um, you know, hopefully we'll be getting back out there on the, the lecture circuit here before too long. Uh, I do give a lot of lectures. I speak at a lot of Masonic events. But, uh, you know, I always tell the brothers, look, there's nothing that I'm going to be telling you that the public can't hear. So I encourage them to open it up to the public so people can come in and see the lodges and meet the brothers. And if there's guys that are interested, I think the world um, could use more Masons, quite frankly and certainly in government. I can absolutely tell you for sure, if we had more Masons in government, we would have a higher probability of people making decisions in the interest of the greater good than the personal good. There's too much of that going on right now. And I think if we had more Masons, admittedly biased, but I do think that that would probably be better for us. Look, Masons founded our, our nation and people brag about it all the time, so there must be something good about it, right? Right. Well, Scott, thank you so much again for coming yeah. on tonight, and I'd love to have you back on in the future. Okay. Hey, Chris, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. We'll do it again soon. Definitely. Until next time, everyone else, have an excellent evening. <laughs>